Um, kids, it's time for our kids' corner here. And uh, as you make your way up here, um, got a question for you to ponder. What do you think? Is it good to make decisions based on how you feel? Hmm. Is that a good measure? What do you think? Ben, what do you think? Is it good to make decisions based on how you feel? No, why not? Why, what do you think? Let me, let me ask you a question so it doesn't seem like I'm putting you too much on the spot here. When do you feel like doing your homework? When do you feel like cleaning your room? Making your bed, taking the trash out. How about that one? You feel like doing that when we get home, right? You, you want to do that? Okay. We and Ben likes doing homework too, by and far. But you know, I guess let me have at this kind of from a different direction. See, little babies, little children are all about feeling. You know, by the way, we could probably sit. That would be maybe a little more comfortable if you want to do. Um, that's why babies tend to either be happy or crying, right? Because they're all about how they feel in the moment. <laughs> so my class is spreading. I, I, I did take a shower this morning, guys. So, <laughs> And I think I got all the bugs out from my grass skirt last night. So, But uh, anyway, here's the thing. When we play games with children, for example, ever play a game with like a three-year-old what happens when they start to lose the game? They get angry, right? Sometimes they stomp off and leave. Or how about try and envision this one. What do you think would happen if we took a bunch of eight-year-old competitive boys that were on two little league teams and put them in control of the game? No, no, like in total control of the game. I can tell you it's called a game of I win, you lose, right? <laughs> no, no matter what, we're going to rewrite the rules, right? So you see, and, and what do you think? <clears throat> How do you handle things that you don't feel like doing? Just walk away, okay. You know, sometimes that works. Sometimes that works better with the things that you feel like doing, but you know you shouldn't. You know, those are, that's the other side of the same coin. But you see, where I want to go with this, and this is going to be my message for the bigger people out here today. You know, life is all about self-control, right? It's all about taking control of how we feel. What's that? Hmm? I still didn't hear that. Yes, okay, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can see already... You know, if you can make yourself do the things that you don't want to do and keep yourself from doing some of the things you know you shouldn't do, that life can get, life gets better that way, right? You already see that as a young person, right? Somebody say yes here, so I don't feel like I'm, so, right? All right, well, maybe I'm going to have better luck with the big people this morning. Why don't I send you guys back and 
we'll try it out on them. Let's give our kids a hand for at least trying this one, because this is a, this is a, ouch. <laughs> Sometimes you don't do what you feel like you want to. <laughs> so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my salvation. You know, in a world with less free time and less access, as experienced by people throughout most of our history, people knew their role pretty much without thinking about it. They knew what had to be done, and they were rarely faced with having to decide what they felt like doing. But in our modern world, mechanization has kind of freed us up for free time. And people are now faced with having to decide what they feel like doing probably more than ever before. But the modern world gives us a message that isn't particularly helpful. Uh, A message that says something like this, if it feels right, it is right. If it feels right, just do it. You know, just follow your dreams and desires. So at a time when self-control is probably more important in our history than it's ever been before, the message that most people live by, the idea that most people live by, is do what you feel like doing. Follow your feelings. This notion could not possibly be less biblical. Without God, we have no idea what right even is. We conflate right with what's right for me or what feels good to me and go try and find ourselves in that situation. But yet, think about this for a moment. Is this not the epitome of duplicitous? How many times is what's right for me also wrong if it's right for you? You see? Living like this is confusing, it's dangerous, and it's unworkable. In a world where life happens, and life will roll us, we know it. You know, our friends, our family, the people that we trust the most, they're unreliable sometimes, and they disappoint us. Feelings play a crucial role in our lives, but they're not to be taken as the basis for our decision and our control That's a role reserved for rational thought. Yet we never hear, how are you thinking today? It's usually, how are you feeling? And that moves emotion right back up to that front row once again. And so we live our lives like the eight-year-olds playing the ball game that I was trying to get our kids to envision. And, you know, for the human... Feelings and emotions are both a primary blessing and yet at the same time a primary problem. We can't live a good life without feeling, and yet sometimes we can't live with the feelings we've got. Feelings and emotions make life both worth living and also lead to suicide. Hence, these also need to be transformed as we are reborn into a new creation. Old ones must either be removed or modified, and new ones need to be heightened to a place of prominence in our mind. 
So why do feelings seem so powerful? They seem actually more tangible than rational thought sometimes. And I think it's because they, they come with the very idea of a physical thing. To feel something, to touch it or contact it is a physical thing. I can't really feel my thoughts. I can't really touch my thoughts. But I have had emotional situations that are touching. In this way, feelings seem maybe more real than our rational mind and our rational thought. And they situationally, they tend to situationally crop up and sometimes blindside us even and then bind us to them in a way that we feel like we've lost control. The term feeling and emotion is even hard to, con- hard to define because it expands a vast range of things. I mean, feelings could just be fear or attraction or desire or the residues of past wounded experiences, but there are also everything in between from accomplishment to victimhood, embarrassment to pride, from anger to joy, pain to comfort, loneliness to contentment, jealousy to compassion, everything in between. And we even have feelings about our feelings, filthy versus honorable. Interestingly, the Bible has been kind of mocked and ridiculed recently for placing feelings somewhere else in the body. We tend to think of feelings as kind of a mind thing. The Bible tends to associate them more closely with the body than the mind. You know, so like, for example, and actually let me back up in a second and say the Bible is actually kind of right on this in light of modern science because most of our feelings are connected to the chemicals in our bodies. We call them hormones, you know. So, for example, if I snuggle a child or my dog, you know, this produces a chemical reaction in my body. It's called oxytocin, which expands my blood pressure and my heart enables me to tie in more closely and think more clearly. You know, this is maybe why love is centered in the heart. But... You know, it would, of course, certainly strike you as weird if I said, well, my kidneys made me do it, right? That does seem kind of strange to us, but yet are our kidneys not the very site of the adrenaline gland? That's our fight-or-flight response, right? Somebody scares you, you go, but your reaction is actually from your kidneys, not your brain. How wild is that? that our Bible got that right thousands of years ago. So, it's clear that however we can, that we can think about our feelings. I'm not saying that feelings are never in our mind. We can even cause feelings to arise by remembering or how we think about something. And to some extent, we can use thoughts to govern our feelings. And in fact, we need to learn to do so. However, there's no guarantee the other way around. There's no guarantee that any feeling will lead to a specific rational thought. By the way, 
all modern psychotropic drugs affect these body chemicals. In other words, the drugs that we take for depression or anxiety or whatever they are, uh, you know, they work by affecting the, the chemicals that affect our bodies and it, our body and its members. So feelings and emotions do live on in the mind, by the way. We sustain them by making images and ideas out of them, uh, most importantly, our self-image. But in this way, feelings and emotions kind of modify our, our mind and become permanent fixtures in there and become what we call moods. Now, I'm sorry if I offend modern sensibilities here with what I'm about to say, but there is a difference between men and women here. And by the way, maybe I'm not qualified to bring this up in light of the grass skirt thing last night, so please, as I continue on this thing, don't, don't stick me to that one too much, right? But anyway, um, women, women tend to have an ability to connect to emotions more broadly and, and, and than men do. They make emotional connections in their mind more than men. So it, as an example to try and use this as a fair story, I had to learn when I got married that when my wife tells me about problems that she's having or other people are having, I'm only supposed to feel the problem. I'm supposed to listen to the problem. I'm not supposed to do what seems to come right to every man in the room, which is fix the problem, right? It's all about feeling the problem and relating by feeling the problem. Men don't naturally, don't, I, I don't think we innately have that. We hear about the problem and we, we want to hop in there and fix that thing. And so I think I was, uh, I really offended Lisa the first time I was going down this road because eventually we got to the point in the story where I said, well, what am I supposed to do to fix this? And the answer, of course, was, well, nothing. You're just supposed to listen, you know. And my, my response was, well, why would I do that? You know? <laughs> because I just am not connecting the feelings. You know, and I think, by the way, when our culture today gets these identity and gender roles so confused, I think it's got something to do with that. It's got something to do with, you know, as men become and play bigger roles, as boys become and play bigger roles in, in raising children. You know, we also experience that oxytocin rush, you know, and, and we want the emotional highs that come with that sort of thing that are traditionally reserved for women. You know, Make no mistake about it, the chemical side of our emotions is a very powerful thing. Emotions are really powerful motivator. What would make a firefighter run into a burning building to rescue a child? What would make a group of men step out on the battlefield and go to war? And guys, now, think about love here. And try not to look at your spouse as you're thinking about this and envision all the, the dumb stuff you once did in the name of love. 
But you know what a powerful motivator it is, right? You know, love is also one of these chemical reactions. You know, and I don't want to sound like a science teacher up here, although I am, and I do try and separate my role out from that. But I want to take a second and try and explain this because it's kind of a crucial thing to, to understand. You see, there are two primary hormones that work with love. One of those is called dopamine, and dopamine is a pleasure hormone or a reward hormone. It's, it's what we experience when somebody says, you're the man, you know, oh, that's me, you know, when, when we get that paycheck. It's what we experience in, in close relationship with our partners. And it's an addicting Hormone, it's an addicting chemical. It, it runs side by side with norepinephrine, which is a variant of adrenaline. So here you go, guys, your kidneys are at it again. They're playing a role in your love life, you know, because they, that, that chemical expands your, dilates your blood vessels and, and, and prepares you to do the things that you wouldn't naturally do, like ask her to go dance with you, if you can remember back to the day, you know, and muster up the courage to do the things that we would otherwise be afraid to do. Okay, but these two things together, while, they're, while they play an important part in love, they're also the core of addiction. Folks, bearing a sin in the body you know, let, let me ask it kind of this way. Have you... Am I back? Am I still on? Yep. Uh, the, this cord is tickling my back, and I went back to scratch it and yanked it off my ear. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, you know, I want to ask you a question, and it's kind of like this. Have you ever had an experience that... You wish you didn't, you know, you, you end up knowing something you wish you didn't know afterwards because it becomes kind of an addictive thing that now you can't stop, you know. And that is sort of the, the story of addiction. It's why we shield children from these experiences. You know, there is a, 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 and this is kind of a stern warning that we ought to take heed to, I think. Our kids are not ready for some of these things that they're exposed to. They're certainly not ready for, for vaping and for the different drugs that also work on this system. You know, there's a story from World War II era, a woman named Corey Tenboom, and her father was a watchmaker, and she told this story one time about riding the train with her dad, and her dad had his big, heavy watchmaker's workshop case with him, and she asked her father, Dad, what is, what is sex sin? And her father said, well, Corey, why don't you move my box for me? And she went over and she said, it's just too heavy, I can't lift it. And he said, you know, I would be a bad parent if I expected you to carry my box around. And likewise, I would be a bad parent if I told you something that's just too big and heavy of a burden for you yet to bear. 
I wish that we could re-cork that bottle in our culture somehow. Addiction, though, you see, is all about feeling. It's all about seeking a feeling, allowing oneself to get carried away by that feeling. Addiction is testimony to the deadness of the soul. When giving in to pleasure is the ultimate value of life, you know, it even extends to the point where it destroys other things of value. Certainly, addicts value their children, but it destroys their relationship with them. At least it has the potential to do. You see, the natural person is in no position to manage life based on feelings one way or the other. That person, without God, it all becomes about control. Past trauma requires me to set my own parameters, to find a way to control situations, manipulate them if I must. Hebrews 12.15 refers to this as allowing something to grow into a root of bitterness. Then, through rationalization, we communicate our feelings with others, and they often adopt them in as their own. For the Christian, there's great news. God is in control. And to recognize that is the first step toward overcoming the need for my own control. It makes things This situation makes things like political debates very emotional, very pointed. You know, it also makes us the enemy of this world because we represent the opposite of do what's right for you. No one can simply take on their emotions. No one can forget about it. No one can just master their feelings because they're rather deeper than that. And to rely on willpower alone is to fundamentally misunderstand the human condition and its interactions with how we feel. Yet that's not an excuse for allowing emotions to rule. Successful life, as we told the kids, it requires mastery of feelings. Selectively resisting feelings can work to some extent, but it's usually miserable. But what if we could change or replace our feelings? No longer have the ones that lead us to trouble in the first place. This is precisely what Jesus is referring to when he's talking with the man at the pool of Bethesda in John 8.34 when he asks, or when, I'm sorry, I've got myself ahead of myself here. In John 8.34 when he says, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So letting God be God gives us an inroad in dealing with our feelings. Knowing God enables us to take on the despair and pain and even lust, not merely by resisting these things in the moment, but by first ruling them inappropriate, adopting lifestyle that then shields us from the moments of temptation. In other words, from our reading today, Devil, get behind me. Let's not give Satan the room to play in our minds and in our lives. We're enabled to develop a strong and compelling image of ourselves through the Christian message, of ourselves serving God, rather than an image based on worldly, based on self-seeking wealth or pleasure 
or our own ideas of success or our own desires to get there, wherever there really is. We are in a position to desire not to desire the desires that now control us, if that makes sense. And identity is everything here. And for that reason, it's not surprising that Satan is now bent on destroying the identity of our schoolchildren. Do you see yourself as a child of God serving the Lord, or have you fallen for the images of the world? Do you identify yourself with your status, your desires, or some other group? Here's my Pool of Bethesda quote, by the way. John 5, 6. Before Jesus healed the man at the pool, he asked, will you be made whole? And what he's asking is really, will you allow your identity to be changed? The Bible tells us the man spent 38 years at that pool, but now he needs a new, new career. And more importantly, he needs a new identity. He fundamentally needs to change how he sees himself. And we need to replace the destructive feelings that we have in our life. We can replace them or at least subordinate them in in a way that transforms them and makes them constructive. For example, can we transform lust to love? You know, going from what I want in a relationship to wanting and choosing what's best for the other even realizing that my own desires probably aren't what's best for the other person. What I began, what if I began to think lustfully, but I transformed that attraction then in terms of God giving me the heart for that person and then committing myself to do what's right for that person. Recall the fruit of the Spirit here. What are love, joy, and peace? Are they not feelings? All are focused on what is good. All are strength-giving, motivating, and even in the midst of pain and suffering, we can have joy and hope and love. Hope, by the way, is the anticipation of good. We are told that we're saved by hope in Romans 8, 24. And faith is confidence in the one who provides. It's not blind faith, by the way. You know, we're asked to taste and see. That is, test out what the Bible says in our own life. So faith is grounded in reality. Faith sees the reality of the unseen through the haze of our world. Together, hope and faith form the foundation of love. And love is really the will to do good. To love is to promote goodness. It's the deepest essence of God. Love is, about, is all about the other person. It's all about the other. While pride and lust and our own desires and feelings are all about ourself. Those things lead to a world of fear. We don't get what we want. What if we don't get what we want? But love opens the path for transformation of character. That'll be next week's topic. But we're loved by God. And in turn, we love God and we love God's people. And they love us back. And in this way, love is perfected. As 1 John 4.18 says, 
Thus love is made perfect, and it casts out all fear. Peace, then, is the feeling that we should have, and it is the rest, the relaxation of the will that results from this absence of fear. To be at peace is to no longer strive and desire. Can I get an amen here on this one? Amen.